0: We will take a few moments to i should i should back up and say we take this part of the service to confess our sin to god both individually and corporately together um, as a body i will give us a few minutes to for us to confess our sins individually before god and then i will bring us back together corporately Father God, we confess the things that steal our time and our attention away from you, the things that draw away um, our love into other things happening into our lives. Lord, we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to uh, quicken our hearts and minds, bring awareness to those things, and to respond as the example that Jesus gave us, to love you and serve you with joy, with joy and gladness. In your name we pray. Amen. Please join me for the profession of our faith. This comes from Matthew chapter 5. And please join me. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly father is perfect. Um, at this time we will take up our tithes and offerings. There are a couple different ways to give. There's a black box at the back of the at the back of the sanctuary there, and there's also multiple ways to give online, um, which are detailed in your bulletin. If you are if you are visiting with us at Deep Run Church and you've only been coming for a few weeks and you're not a member, Please do not feel any obligation to give. Please let this service be a blessing to you and to your family. But if you are a member of Deep Run Church or consider Deep Run Church to be your home, please give as God has enabled and directed you to give. And let us pray. Father God, we praise you and we thank you as we return um, our t- as we return our tithes and offerings. Lord, you have blessed us abundantly in this church. Um, both as a body and individually with our families. Lord, we return these things to you as an expression of love, as an expression of worship, um, with thankfulness and gladness. Lord, we lift up um, the great amount of suffering that's happening in the world with wars and conflicts and sicknesses, um, the things that are happening not only within our country, but also across the world as well. Lord, I also lift up the, the needs of our congregation in terms of sickness and um, health issues that are happening. Lord, we ask that your hand of peace and your healing would be upon those situations, that you would give hope and joy and love to the people in the midst of their circumstances, and that they would feel your presence there in, in, your, in their lives. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things love never ends as for prophecies they will pass away as for tongues they will cease as for knowledge it will pass away this is god's word
2: We good? Oh, okay. Yeah, that works. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, before we get started, it's been a while uh, since I've been up here, but it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to bring the Word of God to you this fine morning. Now, if you know anything about me, you know I like to have fun, and so guess what we're going to do today? We're going to have a little bit of fun. In 1993, a song debuted that actually serves as the title for this sermon. What is love? And if immediately you responded, as they are in the back, baby don't hurt me, we're kindred spirits. Now, I'm not, we're not going down that road, that's a whole another sermon, but the question still remains, what is love? And COVID over the last two, three years has really taught us something about our need for human connection. It's a question that people have really had to dive into over the last few years. What does it look like? What does it look like for a friend to love me? What does it look like for a spouse to love me? What does it look like for me to love my neighbor? Now, we could spend the rest of our lives contemplating that question. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to keep you all here for that long, I I promise. But what I will do for the next 30 minutes or so is we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians 13 and look at this framework that Paul has given us to help us answer that question. Now, what is love and what does it look like? Now, before we get into the scripture, I sort of want to set up this historical context. I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Let's talk about who Paul is very quickly. For anyone who doesn't know, Paul was an apostle of Christ and he spent the majority of his, well, a lot of his time in his day planning churches. So have you ever heard of Philippians, um, Colossians, Corinthians? These were letters that were written to churches in various cities. Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth, Corinthians. Now, a little bit about Corinth. If you look at a map, and you look at Greece, and you drive west, about an hour or so, you'll run into Corinth, Right? So Corinth sits on a coastline. It's by water. So back then when Paul was there, you know, he's working as a tent maker while he's planning all these churches. Paul's got to eat. Brother's got to eat. Brother's got to have clothes. Need some money. So he's working in Corinth. Now because it's on the coastline, it's a business hub, right? People are trading. Ships are coming in. But not only is it a business hub, it's a social hub. So while he's preaching the gospel, talking about the one true God, he's also diving in to the culture, this, this Greek culture. He's having conversations with people. figuring out, you know, what do you believe? Do you believe in there's one God or do you believe in many gods? Some of them believe that there was a pantheon. I don't know if you all are going to recognize any of these names. Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, a lot of them belong to a culture that surrounded these different gods. So he's learning about them, you know, how do you worship? There's a temple in Corinth, in in Acro-Corinth, which is just the highest point of Corinth that's dedicated to a goddess, that what would happen is that the people who served would come down from this temple and come to the shoreline and take people back up to serve their goddess. So they had their own culture, and Paul is trying to tell them or inform them of the message of the one true God. So when he writes Corinthians, he's not writing it in an echo chamber. He's not sitting there going, hmm, what are some things that maybe would be important? Maybe we'll talk about love. Maybe we'll talk about spiritual gifts. Who knows? No, 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 no. He's writing this out of experience. He's immersed himself in their culture, And when the church is there, he has a pretty good idea of some things that are going to happen. And so here we are in 1 Corinthians 13, where he talks about what is love, because the church back then and now is called to love, both inside and outside. And because Corinth was situated in a culture that probably didn't agree no did not agree with what they believed you probably need some instruction how do you love people you don't agree with how do you love people that have ideas that are counter to yours what do you do and that's where we find ourselves in 1 corinthians 13 so let's go ahead and hop in let's have a little bit of fun the first thing he does before we even get into what is love, he starts to call people out, and I love this. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. Now, if you're wondering what is he talking about tongues of men and of angels, I'll, I'll back up for a moment. In chapter 12, these are what you call the manifestations of the Spirit. Some people in, in some denominations refer to them as spiritual gifts, and here specifically, I don't know if anyone's heard of speaking in tongues, he's talking about that, but he's saying that, you know, if you have this gift, you know, preaching tongues, great, but if you have not love, you're a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Why is that important? He's setting a precedent you can have spiritual gifts and use them, but they not, they're not loving. Love is not automatically tied to having the gift. You can be a preacher and preach and have no love whatsoever. You can be Kirk Franklin's backup singer and have no love. You can be a prophet and have no love. No- it's, it's not an automatic, I'm a Christian, therefore everything that I do instantly oh it's loving just because i did it no 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 no. he cautions them against that the first thing he does is says when you're a christian here's some ways here's some things you're going to be given from the spirit for the common good for other people these are gifts that you will be given to help other people in the very next chapter he says now be careful with these gifts because you can use them incorrectly and if you know anything about a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, how many of you all like that noise? Fair enough. I, I, I don't. I don't. Because it's ineffective. You can have gifts and be ineffective if love is not there. So before we get into what love is, he says, don't think that you automatically have it. It's not automatically there. There are considerations that you have to make. So what are these considerations? There are quite a few of them, and while I'd say we're familiar with patience and kindness, I want to sort of break each one down as we're going along and examining this framework. So let's start at verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. Sounds simple. I didn't say easy, but notice Patience and kindness are typically ways that we describe how we treat people. I'm patient with you. You know, I'm kind to you. How many people in here have found it difficult to be patient and kind to people who push their buttons? (laughs) All right, trick question. If your hand didn't go up, put it up. Especially if you're a parent and you got kids, because you know what I'm talking about. You love your children, I know you do, but tell them to do something and have them say no. All the patience and kindness you had in your body is gone in an instant. Your body heats up a little bit, you have the fight or flight, and you're trying to make sure that you're a Christian, but you just kind of want to be like, what did you say to me, Ma, I love you, but I remember those conversations we had, (gasps) what? And it's like, it's a challenge. And you sit there, and you're, you, you don't know. You're, all these feelings are coming up. And you're like, I love you, but I, I'm running out of patience. And it's someone that you love. You care for them deeply. But they got you to that point. Now, that's what can happen when it's people that you care for. Imagine people you don't like. That person that cut you off in traffic you're trying to get over to the next lane and they merge too and you're trying to get past them and it's like their one goal in life is to make you miserable? That coworker that's getting on your nerves? How much harder then is it for us to be patient and count with people that we don't like? It's not easy. No, no, not at all. And yet what you notice is that we're still called to do it. How many of us are patient with God? all the time I'm not how many of us show God the kindness that he shows us all the time I'm not I don't when Jesus was walking to earth and he was patient and kind with people notice that what he did he was not patient and kind to them based on how they treated him that's not what it was rooted in his patience and kindness was rooted in the fact that he wanted a relationship with them he cared for them did he have feelings? Yes, but they were not the things that ruled how he dealt with people. And in the same way that he does us and we're called to love people in patience and in kindness, it's often, it, it's, it's, I would say that it's important to ask ourselves, are my feelings in the moment worth possibly losing this person for a relationship with Christ or losing them completely because of how I responded? And it's something worth considering. But it doesn't end there. Oh no, we're just getting started. Love does not envy, it doesn't boast. So we've already are seeing this pattern of love, right? It's not about us. Love has this, it's this giving thing. It gives to others. It's concerned about them. It's patient. It's kind. It's considerate of others. It's not about what it can get, but a lot of it is about what it can give. And so then we run into envy and boasting, which quite honestly, are the epitome of us. They're both about us. Envy, jealousy, you can use either or, they're interchangeable, it's about you. It's about what you think you deserve, and a lot of times we'll then put God on trial about it. So, perfect example. God, I'm living a holy life, I'm trying to anyway. I'm doing your work, and there are things that I want, and the people that aren't even living for you get it, and I don't. Why can't I get that? I need that job, to be frank with you. Bills aren't going anywhere. I need that relationship, to be frank with you. I need that house. I need whatever they have. I need those traits. I'm living for you. How is it that they seem to be blessed and I'm not? That's about you, right? It's about what you think you deserve. And what it actually is is a lack of trust. You don't believe that God has the best for you. And so you tell him, hmm, you're a liar. You said you'd provide for me? No, I don't believe you. And that's what it's rooted in. Boasting, it goes in a similar direction, sorry. Boasting goes in a similar direction, except boasting is I want you, I want the world to see what I have because I deserve it, and I want you all to put me on a pedestal so you can see what success looks like. I'm the center of attention, and that's also a problem because guess what? Now you don't trust people. You don't trust the fact that people are okay with who you are. When you boast, I'll be frank with you, when you boast about everything that you've got, what you're actually doing is you're covering up who you are. You don't trust people enough to love you for who you are, so you, you set up this, this, this goal, this, I need you to see me like this. I need you to see me in my best light. And it's fake. Love doesn't do that. You know what love does? Love does the opposite. Love creates a space where we celebrate people for their successes, for their victories. Oh, you got a new job. I'm so happy for you. You've been working hard, really hard. I am so happy that someone sees how much you're worth. Because other people didn't, I'll be honest with you. They they didn't. I'm so happy for you. And I'm not perfect. I, I, yeah, sure, I've got stuff, but this is just covering up some stuff that's going on inside of me. I'm not gonna cover this up. I'm not on the pedestal. I'm not perfect. My life is not the greatest, but I want you to take me for who I am. Love creates a space where people can be who they are. And is that not what God wants from us? Does he not want us for who we are? So when we're talking about love, and we say it doesn't do... It's not jealous, and it has no reason to boast. Rather, it should be excited for other people, but also create a place for them or for yourself where it's like you're okay with letting people know who you are. Now hold on to that, because that comes up again later. In a little bit. Dishonor. Love does not... Dishonor others. You know, I'll call out my dad for a minute. I love him, but we used to have this discussion all the time when I was younger about what it meant to dishonor someone, whether if someone older told you something and you disagreed, was that dishonorable? And I don't know the resolution we came to. I I, I love him to death. But what I am going to tell you, especially nowadays, is that dishonor and disrespect don't have anything to do with whether or not you disagree with somebody guys you can disagree with someone disagree with their lifestyle and still respect them and still show honor to them and honor is not given because of someone's position oh sometimes it is but as a default you honor people simply because they're people we were all created in the image of god and that in and of itself is enough should be enough motivation to honor somebody regardless of the position that they find themselves in if you need proof of that we can go somewhere in John 8 there's actually a story about this there's a there's this brief dialogue between Jesus and this adulterous woman and I won't read the entire verse but I'll give you a a brief synopsis and I know the word brief is antithetical to who I am but I promise it'll be brief (laughs) I guarantee it So in John 8, Jesus finds himself in a temple, up there preaching, teaching, doing his thing. He's got a crowd around him. Ooh, go Jesus, yeah, yeah. Or maybe not, maybe they're angry with him, I don't know. Well, out of nowhere, these religious leaders approach him with a woman that they say committed adultery. The word says that she committed it, so this was not hearsay, she was guilty. And they present her publicly, this is a public forum, it's not in private, he's out teaching the people and they bring her and publicly charge her and say, she committed adultery. According to the law, she should be stoned. Hey, Jesus, what you got to say about it? Well, he could have done a few things. Technically, according to the law, he could have ran with it and said, yeah, according to the law, that's true. But he didn't. He did something rather peculiar. He did two things that were peculiar, I guess. The first thing he did was kind of he did nothing. Ignored them for a little while, and he starts drawing in the sand, uh, when I go to heaven, the first thing when I ask him is, What did you draw? Because it, it never says. That's a side note. I just find that really funny. But eventually, he says, and quite a few people might recognize this, but let ye without sin cast the first stone. Well, if they were honest about it, they'd realize that, oh, I don't fit that bill. And they did. So one by one, they left. And eventually, it's just Jesus and this woman. I you know, they're just kind of sitting there and. He starts talking to her and he says, hey, where'd your condemners go? Is there anyone here to condemn you? And she says, no. And then he says the oddest thing. It was, it was filled with so much grace and so much hope. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Here's the kicker, though. Here's, it's not the punchline, but. She was guilty. Like I said, this was a hearsay. This wasn't a, I'm accusing you of something that you didn't do. No, she did it. Al uh, says that she was guilty. And it would have been well within his right, his authority, to have invoked the law. But he didn't. Why? He cared more about her life and the life that she would live and the relationship that had opened its way up to her over his right to be right. The honor king, when he looked at her and said, you've done some stuff. He didn't actually say this, but, you know, me, you've done some stuff. you found yourself in a, in, a, in a hard position. I get it. But I'm not going to sit here and hold that against you. Now, he did not affirm what she did. He did not tell her, go and do it again. No, he didn't do that. That's not in the Bible. He said, go and sin no more. So there was correction involved, and that's okay. But the way he did it took her into account, took her situation, took her life into account, and he says to her, go and sin no more. In the same way, we ourselves can do that in this culture. I know there are things going on. I know their their culture is doing this and is pushing this agenda, and, oh, this person believes this and believes that, and oh, that's not biblical. I get it. So did Paul. He got it too. The church in Corinth was not surrounded by a group of people who believed what they believed. This was this was their daily life, and it was worse back then because you know what they had to do. One of the hardest things you ever had to do in your life. They had to talk to their face. There was no typing behind a screen where they could hide their screen name and then post a Bible verse and then shut it down. They had to look someone in the eye while they're telling them, I don't believe what you have to say. Your beliefs are a sham to me. But we're still called to honor people. Not because we agree with them, but because just like you and me, they were also made in the image and the likeness of God. And sometimes it is hard to remember that. When someone brings an issue to us and asks us what we think, it's, oh, what would you do? The first thing sometimes we want to do is to pull out the right Bible verse and say, well, you shouldn't do that. I get that. But consider what is honorable and what takes their life into consideration because that's what Jesus did. And that's what we're called to do as well. Oh, and another thing. We don't even deserve the grace that He gives us. Let's not forget that. We don't. We don't deserve this forgiveness. We don't deserve the right to spend eternity with Christ. That was a gift. And it, it was free to us, but it wasn't free to the one who gave it. So before you find yourself in a situation where you're trying to you know wade through these kinds of discussions, remember that, that the person that you're talking to, whether they're a Christian or not, it really doesn't matter. Whether they agree with you or not, it doesn't matter. That they are made in the image and likeness and God, of God. And because of that, they deserve honor. Self-seeking, it's not self-seeking. That is just a trait, as we've already talked about, right? Love is not about me. It's not about what I can give. I mean, it's not about what I can get. We have needs. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying you shouldn't have needs. We should. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not about take, take, take. Love pours out of. That's something to always remember. And it's not easily angered. Patience and kindness. You keep those together. It gets a little bit easier. I'm not saying it's it's easy, but it gets easier the more you know about it. Now here's a hot take. We're probably, as we're going through these descriptions and these attributes of love, we're probably coming on to uh, one of the most difficult, one of the most controversial, I would say. It keeps no record of wrong. love forgives now before i tell you why that can be controversial i just want to make sure that we're all on the same page of what forgiveness actually is forgiveness is not i'm sorry oh i accept your apology it's not that's not forgiveness it sounds like forgiveness but it's not how many people here have student loans if you didn't god bless you i can use help with mine but What forgiveness is, it is when a debt is owed, but the creditor, on their behalf, says the debtor owes nothing else. It's not just, oh, it goes away. There's a distinction. Forgiveness isn't, oh, it just goes away. Forgiveness is the creditor says to the debtor, I consider this debt paid. I'm going to pay what you owe, and you are no longer obligated to return it to me. Now, why is that controversial? Why would I say that this is controversial? That sounds great. Well, some people would believe that forgiveness is a carpet, that people can do whatever they want, and say whatever they want, turn around, and be forgiven, and then not do anything else. I don't know if you all have ever heard of that, but it's, it, some people think that forgiveness is just a free ticket. Like, oh, you're supposed to forgive so people can do whatever. No, that's a different sermon, so I won't get into that. You can set boundaries after forgiveness <laughs> to protect you and your family, so don't, don't believe that. But you always have the ability. You, you don't have to see them. They don't have to be in the same room. At all, you have the ability in your head and in your heart to say to anyone that has wronged you, whether recently or 20 years ago, I will no longer allow what you did to me to control what I think or what I do. The debt that you owe me for what you did, you did it, it's owed, to be honest, the debt is owed, you did it. But the debt that you owe me, I am relinquishing my right to it. I'm giving it up. And if you find that hard, congratulations, it is. If you find yourself saying, well, why should I do that? Then let me ask you a question. Why should Christ forgive you? What kept him on that cross for so long? He could have got down. Matter of fact, he didn't have to to come in the first place, but he did. And that was unjust. That wasn't just forgiveness. That was an unjust debt that he paid. He had nothing to do with it. So no offense, you can't justify not forgiving people. Because you owe just as much, whether you realize it or not. And I'm not going to sit here and say that it's the, the easiest thing to do. I'm not going to sit here and say, you are know, walk out the door and everyone's forgiven in your life. What I am going to tell you, though, is that the God that we serve forgave us and that power has been given to you as well. So if you need to ask him for help, that's fine. He knows it. But you don't have a right to hold it anymore. Because what happens if God holds everything you did? you wouldn't be able to breathe anymore so in the same way that he forgives us and loves us we are called to forgive others whether you like them or not love does not rejoice when evil prevails actually it it would be the antithesis of evil Uh, love thrives you know in the light one of the tenets of uh, a uh, alcoholics anonymous they have their 12-step program and this is actually written as one of their main steps it says admitted to god to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs now why why would you do that what why would you come out and admit something when you can easily keep it a secret a sin you're struggling with, you can easily keep it to yourself. But why, why say something? Why expose yourself to the possibility of being hurt? Why would you do that? Honestly, it's very simple. You can't be truly loved until you are truly known. Darkness has a way, you know, that's literally what it does. It, it, it covers things up, and sure. They hide. You ever tried to lie to yourself? It's great, isn't it? No, it's not. Why? Because you realize you can't do it. You can deny it. We all do. But if you've done that, then you also know what comes next. At some point, that house you've built comes crashing down, and you are surrounded by a pile of debris that you've caused. There's an ode, a quote that's actually coming to mind. Someone said that um, every house has a lot of rooms, and in every, every, every house has a lot of rooms, and one of the rooms is a dirty closet. And what we'll do is we'll shove stuff in it. And we'll keep it closed, you know. We'll shove stuff in it. After a while, the, the smell goes through the house. But the way the closet gets cleaned is you open it. You don't let it sit there. You don't let it fester you can't get healed if no one knows you is that easy no it's a risk oh it's a big risk some of us have been so the last three years we've seen this we've seen people we've seen people you know sort of i guess what would you want to say share the best of themselves this social space that we've created is all about your best self living your best life well the issue with the best life is it does this And a lot of times, it's actually doing this. But if I show you the best of me, you never have to see the worst of me. But then that's not really you. That's just a facade. It's fake. And then that's what you get. You get fake love. It's not real because it's not you. And that's not what God wants for us. Matter of fact, Jesus says this. He says, uh, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come to call the righteous. I've I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Now, some people think being sick is bad. I don't know, it's not fun, but I'll admit, if I go to the doctor and they know that I'm sick, at least I don't have to fake like I'm well. There's a, there's a burden lifted, right? When you, they know something's wrong with you. I have, my friends will tell me, y'all know I'm crazy. And while that's, that's a joke, there's something freeing when someone knows that you're struggling. It's hard, but you know that the mask can go off and you can just be you and they see you for who you are and they can love you for who you are. And that's what God wants. He's calling the sick. It's like, and, I know, and he knows it. He's like, I know you're sick. You, you don't have to hide. Stop it. Stop trying. Really? Yeah, I'm okay. No, you're not. And I know it. And I want you like that because I want to be able to come into your life. I want to be able to come into your house, open that closet, see the dirty laundry, and help. I'm not there to ridicule you. I'm not there to dishonor you. I'm there to serve you. Why? Because I love you. And that can be hard to wrap our mind around. This idea of service, love serves. That's what it is. In a nutshell, it's service. It's pure service for the intent of the other person, for their benefit, for their wellness. It's not about you. It's about them. love bears all things it believes all things it hopes all things and it endures all things suffering bearing suffering believing hoping and enduring that sounds familiar someone's done that for us i think we know who it is but if you don't that's what christ did on that cross when he was sitting there he bore all things for us on the cross and right now he sits at the right hand of the father believing and hoping in us and interceding, praying on our behalf and things that we don't even know we need. He's looking out for us and saying, because I love you and because I know you, I know what you need. He endures and he waits patiently for us to accept the call to be with him and to give him permission to love us fully. Love never Prophecies will cease, tongues will cease, will be stilled, knowledge will pass away. This verse, actually, this, this, this verse 8 reminds me of a quote from Maya Angelou. She said, I learned about this years ago. I've never forgotten it. She said, I've come to know that, sorry, cut off on my There I've learned that people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, Although will never forget how you made them feel. There are many things that will pass away, but love is not one of them. It was never meant to be, and it never will be. So where does that leave us? Well, we've spent the last 20, 25 so minutes talking about what love looks like, and then you come to realize oh, there's absolutely no way I can do all of this all the time every day. And you're right. I hate to bring it to you. You're right. Welcome to being human. Yay. Congratulations. But we have a God that can. God is love. Love never fails is not a declaration that our attempts at loving people will always be perfect because anyone that's lived any amount of time knows that that's not true. We mess it up. Rather, It's a reminder that even in the moments when we fail, God's love can step in and be what ours isn't. It can be perfect. It is perfect. We're not. We're not called to be. But in the moments where we need him, he's always at our disposal. And if you find that hard to do, to love, like I said, congratulations, you're beginning to understand what love actually is. It's hard, but it's so worth it. When Christ was tempted in the desert for 40 days and had an opportunity to bow to sin, he refused because he was not thinking about himself. When Christ was praying, asking for the cup of wrath to be taken, and then he says, not my will, but your will be done, he was not thinking about himself. When he was hanging on the cross, unjustly, arms extended, nails in his wrist, being ridiculed and suffering, for things he didn't do, and then he asked for the people that put them there to be forgiven, the Lord forgive them, for they know they don't know what they're doing. He was not thinking about himself. He was thinking about us. I'm going to leave you with a thought, if I may. If not for any other reason, we should choose and strive to love others Because despite all of our imperfections, Christ loves us anyway. And if he can love us, then we can choose to love others. Amen?
0: Stand and sing together.
2: Hardest part. Oh,
3: hold up. Am I good?
2: Oh, there we go. The hardest part about loving others is it's hard to do that when you don't believe that you yourself are loved. So what I would ask that this week you keep that on your mind and in your heart. That God loves all of you. Not just the little bit, not just the best, and not just the worst. All of you. And if you know that, then loving others becomes just a little bit easier. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give
3: you peace. Just a few announcements before we leave and I would like to say for this entire body, how much we appreciated your sermon this morning, Dijon. Uh, as we listen to you, it's... As we listened to the words, we were filled with what you were saying from the heart, and that is what matters to all of us, saying it from God's heart. So thank you very very much. Just a couple of reminders. Um, I'm not going to turn around and look at the screen. I'll just give them to you in the order that they're that I have them. Um, first of all, uh, we all received uh, an email this week uh, telling us about the change in the giving platform, and. Um, If you've read that, I think it's very self-explanatory. If you have any questions about it though, give Steve White a call, send him a text, send him an email. He has the answers for all of us in that regard. Second thing I wanted to bring to your attention is the fact that the men's retreat this fall, the applications are coming in well. We have 15 men, as I understand it, who have stepped forward and said, I want to be there and be part of this. And uh, we have until mid-August to complete that cycle. And so uh, the, the time is running out, the slots are running out. So those of you who would like to be part of that process in September and, uh, and the first day of October, uh, you need to be mindful of getting your applications in. Third thing I wanted to remind you about is Brian's return. Bar- Brian and Becky and the family's return next Sunday. Uh, I think all of you would agree that we have had men sent by God to preach his word to us for the last six weeks. And we've enjoyed it. And we've benefited from it. But there's nothing like having your senior pastor in this pulpit. And we're looking forward to it. So be here and greet him in Christ's name. Next thing I want to tell you about. Uh, is uh, something new uh, that's not on that slide this morning. I don't think it is. No. Uh, The Women's Fellowship uh, Night, A Women's Fellowship Night, uh, will be held at Chris Shipper's on Friday night, August 5th at 7 p.m. That uh, fellowship has been set aside for, obviously, fellowship and for making uh, cards for the nursing homes. Uh, And all women in this congregation are invited to attend. That's Chris Shipper's home on Friday evening, August 5th at seven. And with that, uh, go in peace uh, and uh, we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks so much.